them, not the first or second Samuel. I almost feel backslidden saying that. But Acts chapter 11, if you would please, Acts chapter 11. While you turn to Acts chapter 11, I want to say I appreciate the good preaching so far today. I was sitting there at lunch thinking my next three-day meeting is going to be a very easy meeting. I'm going to preach a three-day series on Saul and David. And I'm only going to say three words. I'm going to play those CDs and go, what he said. That's all I got, all I got to do. <laughs> Tremendous. I appreciate the good, good preaching and teaching today. Acts 11.26, please. Acts 11.26. Acts 11.26, the Bible says, And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Go to Acts 26.28. Acts 26, 28, then I'll give you one more passage. Acts 26, 28, the Bible says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, please. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, and we'll pray and I'll let you be seated. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Heavenly Father, bless, I pray, the reading of your word, the preaching to follow. Dear God, would you empty me of any self and selfish desire? Well, please help me to exalt Christ and accurately preach your word. I pray that you'd help me to help your people. Dear God, I pray the Holy Ghost of God would have his full, free liberty in this place. And Lord, just do what you desire to do, and we'll be grateful for it. These things I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm blessed, as many of the men in this room are, to get to go around and preach a lot of different meetings in a lot of different places. And I know that they all feel the exact same way that I do. It's not necessary to preach in a big place or a nice place or to a large crowd. If there's a preacher that needs all those things, he's the last one you want coming to preach for you. As a matter of fact, I, I, I've, I've preached a revival in a garage before with just about 10 people. Had a great meeting. My daughter got saved. I'd call that a really great meeting. I, said, I, I don't mind preaching in small places. I, I'll go so far as to say this. If you'd like me to come preach on, on a back porch to two people, it's not going to bother me to do so. But I will tell you this, we're going to check for some things before we do. Now, so at this point, you're waiting to hear all the spiritual qualifications. And there are some of those. But I can tell you that my wife and I are going to be online Googling things. And she is specifically going to be looking to see if there's a Mexican restaurant nearby. And if there's a good Mexican restaurant, she's, she, she's over in the corner doing this number. And if they're known for really good guacamole, she may even volunteer to preach. I'm just kidding. She won't go, she won't go, won't go that far. But we, we, we love Mexican restaurants. And, and nothing we love is we love Japanese restaurants, lo, love Japanese food. And love good sushi. Absolutely love, 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 love good sushi. I, I, I hear some, hear some amening out there. How many of you love good sushi? Would you raise your hand? Oh, that's awesome. I want you to think of that plate of good sushi. And I'm going somewhere with this, so just hang on. There is a point to this. That big plate of sushi finally gets to your, to your table there, and you, you're all hungry and are ready for it. And then they bring out a little something extra. They bring out usually a little silver-looking dish, and it's got... It's got this blob of green stuff on it. You familiar with that? Everybody enjoy that stuff. I see some yeses, some no. How many of you like? How many of you like the green stuff? I say, oh, I love it, love it, absolutely, absolutely love it. And I just sort of want to leave that hungry thought in your mind for a minute. And I promise we'll come back to it right about the end of the message for a reason. 
Uh, something I saw very recently, March 6th of this year, in fact, from the Barner Group caught my eye, made me do a double take. It said that 47% of millennial Christians uh, believe that witnessing to non-believers is wrong. Now, the reason it caught my eye is because I knew immediately that Barna completely blew it. I mean, it didn't even come close to getting it right. I know they have decades and decades of experience doing surveys, and I have absolutely none. And yet I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they are completely wrong in that percentage, and I can prove it. I can prove to you, in fact, that 100% of millennial Christians believe that witnessing to non-believers is right. You say, there's no way. There's got to be a lot of millennials who don't believe that way, but wait a minute. I didn't say millennials. Barna didn't say millennials. He said millennial Christians. So let me see if I can spell this out where you'll understand it. There's not one millennial Christian anywhere who thinks that witnessing to non-believers is wrong. Not one. There are millennials who think that witnessing to non-believers is wrong, but there's not one millennial Christian anywhere who believes that witnessing to non-believers is wrong. In fact, no matter what generational tag you apply to it, the exact same thing holds true. There's no baby boomer Christian who thinks that witnessing to non-believers is wrong. There's no Gen Z Christian who believes that witnessing to non-believers is wrong. There's no Gen X believers that believe witnessing to non-believers is wrong. There's no Gen Y or Gen L a Christian who thinks that witnessing to non-believers is wrong, there's not one. Where Barna got it wrong was in assuming that a person can actually be a Christian just by saying so. In other words, their surveyors just went out and asked people a few questions that went something like this. Number one, are you a millennial? Number two, are you a Christian? And number three, do you believe in witnessing to non-believers or do you believe it's wrong? But just like the word millennial actually has a definition, which is someone born between 1981 and 1996, the word Christian also actually has a definition. And the fact that people are calling themselves Christians and then turning right around and saying they believe it's wrong to witness to non-believers tells me beyond any shadow of a doubt that what a lot of people have is, is, what, is no earthly idea of what the word Christian actually means. And that needs to be cleared up, not just for that issue, but for a variety of issues. I want to preach for the next few moments on this subject. I won't be long at all. But the subject is, what does it even mean to be a Christian? Now, my, my preferred method of preaching is what I did yesterday when we stayed in John chapter 13 and just sort of gave you things from that text. Today, I'm going to do it in a very different way. Keep your Bibles open and be ready to turn them to a lot of places because I'm going to take you a variety of places through Scripture very, very quickly. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 11 where we begin. We're going to look at the three texts that I briefly gave you. I'll widen it out a bit and give you the verses around each one to show the context. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 20. The Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenician, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching of the Lord Jesus. Now, some believers in this text, some, some believers in Christ, came to Antioch and they witnessed to non-believers. Verse 21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So a lot of people got saved as a result of people witnessing to them. Verse 22 through 24, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was 
was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. So Barnabas came to town. He discipled them and along the way even more non-believers got saved. Look at verse 25 and 26. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Now Barnabas knew he needed help discipling all of these new believers. So he went and found Saul, who we know as Paul, and brought him back there with him. Then for a whole year, the two of them taught them the scripture. And it is then that we come across the very first mention of the word Christian in the Bible. When we read the words, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now prior to this time, they'd just mainly been called disciples. The problem with that was that there were a lot of people who had disciples. So they needed to have some way to distinguish this particular group of disciples. The good news is the methodology was already pretty well established by history. Disciples of Herod were called Herodians. Disciples of Caesar were called Caesarians. Uh, disciples of Pythagoras were called Pythagoreans. Uh, disciples of uh, Plato were called Platonists. So they saw this and they said what we'll do is we'll label this crowd based on who whose beliefs and teaching they are clearly following. And because of that, they label them as Christians. The word Christians means a follower of the beliefs and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Acts chapter 26, verse 22. Saul, now known as Paul, Paul the Christian, is on trial before Agrippa, who, by the way, was an unbeliever. Paul is speaking as verse 22 begins. Acts 26, 22, and 23 says, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none of the things than those things which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Now get this, Paul the Christian was pointing out very specifically that he witnessed to unbelievers while at that very moment actually witnessing to unbelievers. The fact that he witnessed to unbelievers was part of his testimony to unbelievers. Verse 24 through 27, And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Paul, you're crazy. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness, for the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Now, Paul was witnessing to Agrippa, and he's even calling him out by name. Verse 28, then Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Based on Agrippa's own words, what was Paul trying to do? Well, he was trying to persuade Agrippa to become a Christian. Agrippa believed the facts about Christ but had not believed unto salvation in Christ and Paul was very specifically witnessing to a non-believer and Agrippa acknowledged it. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 through 16. Let's pick up that third text we read you just a moment ago. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. 
Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busy body and other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. In this passage, Peter spoke of the name of Christ and of the sufferings that people would undergo because of that name. And he encouraged them, don't be embarrassed by it. Don't be ashamed by it. Be glad and glorify God when you are allowed the privilege to suffer for the wonderful name of Christ. And the three passages that we have just covered mark the only three passages in the Bible that we find the word Christian. We find the word saints used a lot. We find the word disciples used extensively. We find brethren used over and over again. But this precious word Christian is so very specific that it is found just three times in the Bible and each and every time it denoted a follower of the beliefs and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that is what makes the Barna survey claiming that 47% of millennial Christians believe that it is wrong to witness to non-believers such a ridiculous thing because the Christ they claim to believe believed in witnessing to non-believers. Go to Mark chapter 1 verse 14 please. I want to take you through several passages in a hurry. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. Now after that John was put in prison Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and what's the word? Believe the gospel. John chapter 1, 11 and 12, he came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Go to John chapter 4, verse 40. Let's look at one of the most famous accounts of a non-believer becoming a believer in the scriptures. John chapter 4, verse 40. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days, and many more Believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we've heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Christ goes to Samaria, which was forbidden territory for the Jewish people. They avoided it in any, any way they possibly could. But it says he must needs go through Samaria. His need was not a geographical need. It was a spiritual need. There was a lost woman there, an unbeliever, whom he wanted to turn into a believer. He meets her there at the well. She becomes a believer. She goes and starts telling everybody else what has happened. They come out as unbelievers to Christ. They hear him speak and they become believers. John chapter 5 verse 37 and following please. John 5 37 and the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape and you've not his word abiding in you for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. Search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men but I know
know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I'm come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? How many times does he have to say that for us to understand that he was dealing with unbelievers, demanding that they become believers? John chapter 6 verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. John 6 36, But I say unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Go to John chapter 8 verse 23 and 24. I want you to turn over there and see this with your own eyes. It's really important and really powerful. John chapter 8 verse 23 says, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. This is Christ looking at unbelievers and saying, If you do not believe in me, if you do not forsake your unbelief and place your belief and faith in me, you will die in your sins. He's witnessing to unbelievers. Every single thing that Christ ever did during his earthly ministry was for exactly one purpose, and that was getting non-believers to believe. So to say that there's such a thing as a Christian who believes that witnessing to non-believers is wrong is to say that there's such a thing as a Christian who believes that Christ spent his entire ministry doing wrong. That's ludicrous. You do not get to legitimately call yourself a Christian while at the same time thinking that Christ did wrong by spending all of those years witnessing to non-believers. Furthermore, you do not get to legitimately call yourself a Christian while not only disobeying what Christ said for you to do, but actually saying that it was wrong for him to command you to do it. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Mark 16, 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Acts 1, 8, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost of God has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. It's called the Great Commission. It is God's command to his people that we go confront unbelievers with the gospel and with their need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now please understand me. We're not talking about people who for some physical reason cannot get out and witness to people. We're not even talking about people who are simply timid and need to be encouraged to get out and witness to people. We're talking about people who are saying that it is wrong to try and convert unbelievers or believers in something or someone else when that is exactly what Christ himself commanded every last one of us to do. You see, Christ made a command and a claim that compels this of any true Christian. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is what Christ plainly said. And to be a Christian is to be a follower of the beliefs and teachings of Christ. Therefore, if a person does not believe that Christ is the only way, he or she is not even a Christian. It's worse, they're not even saved because those are two really different 
different things. You can't be saved without believing in him the exact way he described himself and you cannot claim to believe in him and yet also claim that he is a liar in this claim of exclusivity that he made. And if a person does claim to believe what Jesus said and yet believes it's wrong to witness to unbelievers, then that person believes that unbelievers ought to be allowed to go to hell without even trying to stop them. You see how ridiculous that is? Now here's the point. While this is about soul winning, it's really not about soul winning. It's actually about much more than that. You see, this faulty belief about witnessing to unbelievers is just one of the many rotten fruits hanging on the rotten tree that has grown from rotten roots. The real problem is deeper than just this one. The real problem is that in this modern world, and not just millennials, but people of all ages, in this modern world, we have found people holding on to the name of Christ while dumping the Christ of the name. A few moments ago, I asked you how many of you like wasabi. If you said you were the ones that like wasabi, would you raise your hand for me just a second? Again, a lot of hands going up, and you've never tried wasabi a day in your life. Unless you've been to Japan, of course, then you may have. You see, wasabi is one of the, one of the rarest herbs on earth. The only place it grows naturally is in the high mountains of Japan beside some of their streams. And after you cut it, it achieves maximum flavor in five minutes. And in 30 minutes, the flavor is pretty much gone. Because it's so rare, it is one of the most expensive herbs on the planet. It costs $250 per kilo. And I promise you, they're not serving that down at your local Chinese buffet. So you say, preacher, what have I been eating then? I'm about to break your heart. What you've been eating that's called wasabi is a mixture of hot mustard and horseradish and green food coloring. It still has the name, but the ingredients are very different. There's a lot of the name of Christ these days but very little of the Christ of the name. What we're talking about is the greatest danger of our day. And listen to me real carefully. The greatest battle of our day for the young people coming up especially is not going to be Christianity versus atheism because the devil's not interested in atheism really. It's a useful tool, but the devil wants worship. He wants to be worshipped as God. The greatest battle the young people will face coming up is not, is not Christianity versus atheism. It is real Christianity versus cultural Christianity. It's Bible Christianity versus woke Christianity. I'm not opposed to coffee and fellowship, but cultural Christianity says, take up your coffee and fellowship with me. What it does not say is what Christ said, take up thy cross and follow me. Cultural Christianity says Christ is a good way. Real Christianity says Christ is the only way. Cultural Christianity says we're all just trying to figure things out. Real Christianity says thus saith the Lord. Cultural Christianity says God loves everyone just the way they are. Real Christianity says every one of us are wretched sinners and except we repent we shall all likewise perish. Cultural Christianity says everyone's beliefs are equally valid. Real Christianity says if you believe in anything or anyone else for salvation, you will not see the kingdom of God. 
Cultural Christianity says just let people be free to believe whatever and whomever they want. Real Christianity says we love you too much to let you die and go to hell without confronting you with the truth. You listen to me, this so-called Christianity produced out of thin air over a nice round of soy lattes is many things, but it is an actual Christianity. To be a Christian is to be a follower of the beliefs and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus so very thoroughly believed what he said about himself that he proved it by shedding his blood and giving his life on the cross of Calvary. If he was not the only way, that his sacrifice on Calvary was the most insane, worthless thing that has ever happened in humanity. But it is neither insane nor worthless. It is the most precious thing that ever happened because he is the only way and his blood is the only solution. And this world does need to know him because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You're going to have to choose what kind of quote-unquote Christianity you believe in and follow. And if you listen to the siren song of woke evangelical so-called Christianity, you will find yourself with the name of Christ but not with the Christ of the name. And if you find yourself with that, you have committed the greatest travesty of history because far more people will go to hell riding that vehicle than any other vehicle. There's only one way. and His name is Christ. And he was so kind as to give us in 66 inspired, preserved books, his beliefs and his teachings. And if you have your beliefs or teachings rooted in anything else other than the rightly divided 66 books of Scripture, you have cultural Christianity, not real Christianity. I'll give you this and I'll be done. Lady in my church, way up in her 70s, years ago, she's passed on to glory now, but I preached a message on soul winning. She came to me after service was over and she was crying. And she, she said, Preacher, I'm so sad. I'm broken hearted. I said, Miss Christine, what's wrong? She said, it's that message you preach, Preacher. I said, well, I don't think I said anything wrong or mean or hard. She said, no, 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 no. You're talking about every, everybody needs to win somebody to Christ. And Preacher, I'm an old woman. I'm in my 70s. I've never won anybody to the Lord. And she just boo-hooing and crying. And I said, oh, Miss Christine, you're not dead yet. <laughs> and she went, oh, just like that, oh. Like it had never occurred to her, she wasn't dead yet. <laughs> so she started going to hassle a cousin of hers, an old man named Buck Cobb. A few weeks later, 69 and a half years old, old Buck Cobb toddled, toddled into church. He ended up coming down to the right side of the altar just a couple weeks later. And I sent a soul winner down to talk to him. And a few minutes later, I heard, Whoo! Whoo! I've needed this. 69 and a half years old, he got saved. Then his son got saved. and uh, Then his wife got saved. And then his son-in-law's wife got saved. And then the grandkids started getting saved. And if you come to my church now, the right side is filled with cobs. Because an old woman went, oh. And it clicked with her. I'm responsible for obeying the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you have? Not just in this, but in everything. What do you have 
Do you have real Christianity? Or do you have cultural Christianity? That's going to be the battle of your day. You better choose real Christianity. Let's all stand, please. Heads, but eyes are closed.